Good morning, Trinity Church. It is a very great delight for me to be here with you this morning. My previous visits to Trinity have included a regular Sunday morning, uh, I think a regional confirmation that you all hosted here on a Saturday, and of course Nancy's um, celebration of the ministry a few years ago. And now this particular context, a different moment in our life together, and in some ways um, even more poignant for all that we have all been yearning to be with one another um, in person through these last 22 months. So it really is a, a great joy and delight for me to be with you. I live in the North End, and I called a person my wife this morning well, somehow going from the North End in Charlestown to Concord, I feel like I should be getting on a horse. Um, but then I would have been late, so um, sorry. Um, but really, it's a joy, and I want to um, want to invite you. Nancy will explain, I think, in announcements how we're going to do this, but there will be some opportunity um, for some more informal conversation and following the service. We'll do that um, by Zoom rather than in person. The past seems endless. In the apartment of my 98-year-old mom are boxes and boxes and more boxes of family memorabilia. And she is in a perpetual state of weaving and organizing. She'll ask us to take things, then announce she's not really ready to give them up. And so the next time we go, we go through the same conversation exactly over and over again. And among the treasures are some old cassette tapes, remember cassette tapes, some old cassette tapes from the 1970s. My dad was on a campaign at the time to record reminiscences of his parents before their stories were lost. So these were tales from the first two decades of the 1900s in the Midwest. My grandparents, John and Nellie Gates, were prodded by my dad to tell stories. Tell us about the great uncle who was jailed for forging checks, my dad would say. Or tell us about the time you and your friends borrowed the neighbor's horse and rode it so hard it dropped dead, he would say. True stories, by the way. Aside from those tapes, of course, there are all kinds of written artifacts. Grade school report cards, newspaper clippings, letters sent home by members of the family who were off at school or in the Navy or whatever. The task of sorting is endless. And yet, it is a sacred task, isn't it? And it inevitably evokes a smile or a tear because it is our own story that we're sorting through. All history and written history replete with triumphs and embarrassments, joys and sorrows, glimpses of how we got to be who we are. In today's first lesson from the book of Nehemiah, something like this is going on. The Hebrew people have returned to Jerusalem after decades in Babylonian exile. And they're rebuilding their temple, and they're rebuilding the city walls, and they are rebuilding their understanding of who they are. 
And their priest and scribe Ezra is helping them to do that by reading to them from their sacred texts. The Hebrew Bible at that time had not yet been formally shaped. It hadn't been canonized. So what Ezra is doing is sharing in some combination of oral tradition and written texts, destined eventually to be formalized as what we would know as the Torah, the first five books of the Hebrew Bible. So I wonder if our experience of the last couple of years could give us even just the tiniest glimpse of why this was such a precious and emotional moment for the Hebrew people. They had been prevented by captivity for decades from gathering in their sacred worship space in their temple. They had been prevented by exile for decades from experiencing the communal reading of texts they considered holy, from hearing those readings interpreted by their texts, from being reminded of who they were. Sound a little bit familiar? Our exile of whatever it was initially, a year or whatever, until we began some in-person gathering, wasn't much compared to these decades of exile. And yet, our own yearnings have given us a glimpse of why this was such a moment for them. Hearing God's story, hearing their own story, and all the people wept, it said. So, such is the power of the spoken word and the written word. Tales of their triumphs and embarrassments, their joys and sorrows, glimpses of how they got to be who they were. Some 450 years later, a different story is told. It, of course, is the story we recently celebrated at Christmas, the story of the birth of Jesus. For in the fullness of time, neither the spoken word nor the written word quite had the capacity truly to accomplish that for which God yearned, which is to say, the reconciling, the drawing closer together of God and the people of God. And so, you know the text, the Word was made flesh. The Word was made flesh and dwelled among us. God's love shone forth in the incarnation of Christ. And in today's Gospel, Jesus um, he pops back home to Nazareth to preach in his home parish. Right? Or in this case, of course, his home synagogue. He's back there where he grew up. He reads from the prophet Isaiah. And the people wait for his interpretation. And what he says to them is this. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Which is to say, Isaiah is the written word. I, Jesus, am the embodied word. You've heard maybe that tale of the little girl who awakens in the middle of the night and she's had a bad dream and she cries out and her mom comes in to comfort her and her mom sits and sings 
the little girl begins to be comforted, and the mother would like to go back to bed, but the girl is still wakeful. It's all right, says the mother sleepily. I'm going back to bed now, but mommy loves you. To which the little girl hangs on tight and replies, but I want love with skin on it. Humankind wants love with skin on it. And thus did God send God's only Son, the incarnation of love, the embodied Word. We did not stop yearning for the embodied Word 2,000 years ago. We all still want love with skin on we yearn for incarnation. In fact, I, for one, have perhaps never yearned for incarnation as deeply and acutely as I have at moments these past 22 months. And I imagine perhaps you the same. Denied so many of those tender moments with one another. Denied holidays with loved ones. Denied simple meals. Denied, unfettered, unmasked, unself-conscious moments and movements among friends and strangers alike. Yet even in these times, but maybe especially in these times, God's word, God's story, God's love has been embodied in us, in one another. And thank God for that. I'm told that in November, some of you saw my annual address at our diocesan convention. And the theme of that convention, Members One of Another, is taken directly from St. Paul's writings, such as the passage that we heard today from 1 Corinthians. You've heard them before, how the church, says Paul, is the embodied Christ. Indeed, says Paul, the body does not consist of one member, but one member, but many. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Now you, says Paul, are the body of Christ, individually members of it. I said in November that we should be striving in this pandemic not to lose sight of our humanity as seems to be such a genuine risk. We must not lose sight of our humanity, but live it out. And this, I reiterate now, is how, this is how we are the embodied word of God, by being members one of another. We are the embodied word when we gather, even virtually, we are the embodied word when we offer our common prayers, even in our separate churches. When we wear those infernal masks as a sign of care for one another. We are the embodied word when we sacrifice our comfort for the security of another. We are the embodied word when we sacrifice our resources for the need of another. When we together face our past for the sake of our future. We are the embodied word when together we are agents in search of our humanity and that of the others. 
So here I want to say a word of deep admiration and gratitude to you at Trinity Church. In preparation for visiting today, I've been reviewing aspects of your recent life together as a congregation and some of the ways that you have been the Word of God embodied for one another and for the world beyond. Certainly, you have continued during the pandemic to extend the spoken word and the written word with your worship, study groups, your newsletter, and you have continued to manifest the embodied word with your fellowship, with your pastoral attention to one another in whatever ways you could manage to do that. But especially am I impressed and grateful for how, in the midst of COVID, you have adapted and intensified your commitment to being God's embodied love even beyond the pandemic. Your commitment to open tables, your partnership with Gaining Ground Farming Project, both of these providing hunger relief and seeking to address food insecurity, your partnership with Habitat for Humanity and addressing housing insecurity. I was thrilled by the story of your partnership with the Mariendo Girls School in Rwanda and how you were able in the pandemic pivot and redirect your support quickly to provide those phones, enabling 100 girls to continue learning remotely. Phones weren't the only thing in that story that could be called smart. In all of this, I'm so delighted and grateful and even proud that you are members of the body of Christ here in our diocese that you are finding ways to be the embodied Word of God, even during COVID, especially during COVID. Thank you and bless you. And finally, this caveat. Maybe you've heard that saying, preach the gospel at all times, when necessary, use words. You heard that? Usually it's attributed to St. Francis. The thing is, Francis pretty certainly never said it. It appears nowhere in his writings, in his rules, or in things that his disciples or early biographers record. More importantly, perhaps, it's simply not consistent with who Francis was. He preached all the time, using words, all the time. Famously, of course, he preached to birds and wolves, but also to people. Francis was, according to history, an itinerant minister, sometimes we're told preaching in up to five villages a day, often outdoors from a bale of straw or a greenery doorway. He preached to serfs and landowners, to merchants, clerks, and priests. Francis definitely used words. Perhaps that saying attributed to him preach the gospel at all times when necessary use words. Perhaps it simply intends to remind us that our deeds should match our words, that we should be, in words of Brother James, um, doers of the word and not hearers only. Fair enough. But let's not suggest that the written word and the spoken word 
were entirely supplanted or superseded or replaced by the embodied word. But those others don't matter. Let's go back to my opening images of my own family pouring through boxes and cassette tapes, or of the Hebrew people home from exile listening to words, listening to Ezra tell their story. So I say once again that our oral history and our written history, replete with triumphs and embarrassments, joys and sorrows, yield glimpses of how we got to be who we are, and that's important. And knowing our faith stories will help us to know just what it is that we are striving to embody. And telling our stories and telling our faith stories is not the entire way we embody the word, but it's not irrelevant to it. So let's adjust the faux Francis motto just a little bit. Live out the gospel at all times. Along the way, use your words. Words of compassion and patience. Words of hope and encouragement. Words of clarity and respect. Words of gratitude and faith. Dear friends at Trinity Church, Go forth and be the embodied gospel and use your words. Go forth anxious and tired, yes. Still grieving and impatient for the end of this pandemic, yes. But love and capable and blessed to be a blessing, serving those who need you, Hopeful sometimes by disposition, hopeful sometimes as an act of will, and empowered always by the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name.